Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you again for this day and this time to come together and worship you, Lord. Lord, I pray you would bless Richard as he brings the word, bless his study and preparation. I pray you would speak through him. Lord, speak to our hearts, and I pray you grant us open hearts and discerning minds. Lord, I pray that everything done here today would be for your honor and our good. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. I, I gather there's a lot of people gone this weekend, um, so that's okay, it's just me. So, we've all heard the passage before, Genesis chapter 2, God rested on the seventh day. After reading that text, uh, there's usually an elephant in the room um, on what does rest look like. We have all kinds of uh, history with that on people uh, saying, like, oh, you have to do rest, you have to have a, a day off, like the Sabbath, um, and that's what should still hold for Christians today. And in classic Minnesotan fashion, we like to avoid any controversy or passive-aggressively reference it. Um, and so those issues don't like get addressed often. Um, but when you t- come to this issue of rest, the major application of that in the Old Testament is Sabbath. So we can't really avoid that elephant in the room when we address this text. But since it's not, that isn't our text, actually, it's Sabbath. I'm not going to focus on that, but we'll first interpret what this text says. And then I think as we try to bring that to us through Scripture, we'll necessarily have to reference the Sabbath and to get the application to our lives. So first, let's do the direct questions of the text before us. So it's three verses in Genesis 2, and see what kind of things we can find uh, interrogating that text, so to say. First question is, how can God rest? I mean, he just created all of creation, and I don't think he took a nap afterwards. Uh, Like my dad, on Sunday afternoons, he goes home and watches golf, And he's out like that. You've changed the channel. What? What's up? What's happening? Somehow he knows you've changed the channel. And you can't change it. Well, God is not that way where, okay, he's created creation, and once he messes something up, then he wakes up, and now he'll change and fix things. Uh, That would be what the deists believe, where God is a watchmaker, wound it up, lets it go, and he'll just go into fixing if he needs to. And I think uh, sometimes evolutionary theists can also slip into that um, model, and that's not what this text would say, God is not resting like we sleep or nap. Uh, But God's rest is of a certain kind. We can see that from a few things in the text. Notice the qualifiers of that rest in verse 2. God rested from his work that he had done. In verse 3, God rested from his work that he had done in creation. 
I think the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, actually phrases this a little more clearly than the ESV, um, saying that God rested from his work of creation. God didn't just rest from everything. He rested from that work of creating creation. He's, it's, it's all created. He finished it. He rested. He's still the sovereign God over all creation who sustains and upholds everything according to Hebrews 1.3. And he's the one who gives us our life and breath and being, as Acts 17 says. Um, so he's not stopped sustaining. He's still active, working that way. If he'd, if he'd st- stopped that, actually, we wouldn't just spiral out of control. We would cease to exist, and we're still existing. So he's still sustaining us. So this rest is, rather, God stopping his creating of creation. He'd finished that. So that question is pretty straightforward. How did God create it? He did, how did God rest? He finished his creative, his creation work. But then why did God rest? Be the next question. Well, in the most basic sense, he rested because he finished his work. When you finish a work, you inherently rest from it. Hebrews 4 draws this logical connection in the opposite order. It says that God necessarily finished his works because he rested. If you, it, because he's resting, you know he finished. In the same way, because he finished, you know he's also rested. They're tied both ways. You can infer the other if the other one of them has happened. But beyond that basic sense that he's finished creation, uh, we see that seventh day is the goal of all creation. All six days are leading to that seventh day. God aimed at finishing his creation and did it. Men and women, human, ma- mankind, we were the climax of created things, but God's rest was the end and goal of it. Seventh day isn't a day in a vacuum apart from all this other six. Rather, it was, the seventh day was blessed, and because that was blessed, indirectly then all of creation was also blessed. But uniquely, the seventh day was then separated. All the other six days were declared as good. The seventh day was declared as holy. And what does that mean? Notice a few things. First, that holiness part isn't teased out exactly in the text. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But the seventh day, it happens after the sixth day, so we know it starts then. But there's never an end recorded there. Every other day says there was morning, there's evening, there's morning on the first day, second day, third day, up to six days, right? The seventh day doesn't have that formula there. And that it's important for us to note because even as Hebrews picks up on the seventh day, God says things in Psalm 95 like creation is designed to enter his rest. So God's rest didn't actually end in some sense. The seventh day didn't end as, as Hebrews puts it. It's unique from the other days. And God inspired all those details of what he did or did not record in the, in the text there for us to hold on to. So in what sense would we say, are we to understand that God's rest has been from day seven as something into which all of creation can enter according to Psalm 95? Again, this isn't the napping kind of rest. I think this is a rest, rather, um, that Hebrews further teases out for us. It says what we might call, it's a, it's a heavenly rest. The rest where we are completely enjoying the end of sin, and the sin's corruption of this world. And that's the rest of Genesis 2, pre-fall. 
that God's people have in knowing him and being near to him. That's why man comes walking with him in the garden. That's the goal of creation before the fall. They're with him, with God, in that rest with him. Creation's finished. But mankind left that in the fall. And we brought all creation down with us. So all creation groans wanting that rest, as Corinthians puts it. And God, ever since that fall, through since Adam and then Noah and Abraham, Moses, David, till finally Christ is bringing people back to and calling them to that rest. This is the thing that we're supposed to all be in together. You guys left it, but here I want you to come back through the means of appointed, which he has revealed more clearly and progressively throughout the scriptures. So the ultimate answer of why did God rest is so that all creation could eventually join him in that rest, living in holiness, wholly devoted to him. For a little bit it was devoted to him, but then now it's left and now it needs to be re- redeemed back to him. Okay, so a few glazed eyes on that, on that last part. I, I realized that. When they look far afield, but those details are chased down in Scripture. We want to kind of chase it down with Scripture on that. Saying that, okay, I can see how that details are, are not there in the text or are there in the text. And I can see how they get there. But so, so we have the general understanding of what that rest is, right? It's a cr- rest of all creation that God wants all creation to enter with him in being wholly devoted to him. And now to get that to us, we have to trace it kind of, how is this then brought from Scripture to us? How is it applied throughout the Old Testament, of the law, prophets, writings, to the New Testament? So let's start in the law. This rest idea, I already mentioned earlier, is basically not picked up again in a, as a central theme until Ten Commandments. On the seventh day you shall rest. Seventh day you shall not do any work. Why? According to Exodus, because in six days God created creation and rested on the seventh. That's why you should rest on the seventh day. But then in the rehearsing of that Ten Commandments, in Deuteronomy 5, Moses again writes, keep the Sabbath because, not because God did those seven days of creation, but because God redeemed you from Egypt, brought you out from slavery. And you're like, wait a second, are those two different reasons we're doing the Sabbath? Are they overlapping somehow? What is going on here? Well, I think in the most broad sense, they're both, in both senses, the Sabbath is, is memorializing, having a, a remember God's great works in the past. That's in the broad sense. Do X for God did Y. You, he did this in the past, we're doing this to remember what he's done. Moses Exodus remembers that he rested on the seventh day. Deuteronomy remembers that he saved Israel. But more specifically, and how these connect more clearly, is in that both versions of command are remembering God's rest in salvation. There's an important description in, in Psalm 95 that reiterates the unending nature of God's rest. Remember that? And we're called to enter it. This means that the creation rest being memorialized in Exodus 20 is a rest that we're supposed to attain to and enter by salvation. Salvation from evil, like that Deuteronomy picture is, right? So really, 
part of the problem of seeing the connection is in understanding that, remember, salvation isn't just leaving evil. It's salvation from evil to rest with God. It's that whole picture aspect. So remembering God's seventh day rest that we're all supposed to enter it has one half. Exodus focuses on that looking towards God's goal uh, in salvation of having rest with him. The right focuses on that other half of the coin of saying leaving that slavery to sin. So the Sabbath in both descriptions I think are, are having us remember that same general big concept of God's rest and salvation focusing on the two halves of it. I think that sums up the, the, the nature of how the law treats rest. Memorialized in the Sabbath, once remembering it, and then looking, pointing you towards that rest in salvation. But one more thing to note, though, that's important for this. In Exodus 31, Moses clearly says that the Sabbath is a sign of the old covenant. Verse 13, for this, the Sabbath, is a sign between me and you, God says. You and so you, Israel, throughout your generations. In verse 17, God says, it is it, the Sabbath, is a sign between me and the people of Israel. The same kind of phrasing as he, as he has for circumcision, the priesthood, the tabernacle. These are all signs of them being God's people in the Old Covenant. As such, those signs are tied to the Old Covenant. As Hebrews labors at length to make clear that they pass away with the Old Covenant in light of what Christ has done in bringing the New Covenant in. So just like we want to say, okay, every guy here must be circumcised on the eighth day. No one else would say that, right? Because the sign of the Old Covenant wouldn't do that anymore. It's an option if you want to circumcise. You don't have to. Same thing, Sabbath. If you want to do a Sabbath where you rest on the seventh day, it's an option, but it's not required of any of us. And this is where we look at in the prophets, when we're from the law, Israel is continually hounded for how they haven't kept this Sabbath command. And the same problems are transferred into the New Testament with the Pharisees. And Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, I think, helps it to tease that out for us. In Matthew 12, 1 through 14, Jesus shows that even the Levites are commanded to break the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees, by performing duties in the temple and tabernacle. So we see Jesus is revealing the scope of the Sabbath, so we picturing God's rest and salvation is a limited scope. And Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, much like he's Lord over the temple or, the pri- or priesthood, is a hint, hints at the, the, the p- picture being changed w- when his work is done. So even with the old, within the Old Covenant, the Sabbath rest was not always kept by all people according to the law. So the picture could be overruled, the picture of Sabbath rest could be overruled in the Old Covenant while you're waiting for the realities to come. In the New Covenant, you can much more see, okay, yeah, this, these are overruled in light of what Christ's work has done. He di- came, he died, he rose. The first fruits of the new creation have come. The first fruits of that 
rest in God realized have come. He's the resurrected, ruling Son of God. And where the reality comes, pictures aren't required. They're an option if you want to use, as Corinthians or Colossians 2.16 says, let no one judge you for keeping Sabbaths or feasts. They are shadows of a reality. If you want to have a Sabbath, you can, but you can't judge someone on not keeping it or not. Where conscience con- convicts, you can use it as needed. So, we got, we got from Genesis 2, re- this is about God's rest and creation entering it with him, wholly devoted to him. The old co- covenant then says, okay, I want you to picture this and focus on this. Remember this, guys. Look towards that salvation rest. And Jesus says, look, those forms, those pictures of keeping that, remember that? Don't have to be kept as those forms. They're pictures that were designed as temporary. The point is the rest. So, should we be keeping a Sabbath day as Christians? Simple answer? No. We're not under the old covenant anymore. It was a sign of the old covenant. As such, it's done. Circumcision, priesthood, tabernacle, they're all over. And so they are, as Hebrews 7.10 puts it, they're transformed. The, The transformation of the law has happened in Christ. So these things that are kept or ended according to Christ's work. It's not a very easy of, okay, Here's a line, everything else stays, everything else is gone. You have to say, okay, how does Christ's work change what this it is for us? We don't do sacrifices anymore because that would be to spit on his sacrifice. It wasn't sufficient. Same kind of thing. You don't ha- some things you definitely can't do. Some things are optional. But the question is, does this Sabbath transform into Sunday for us? Well, no. Sunday is more simply the Lord's Day, as described in Revelation 1.10. Because Christ rose in victory on the, on the resurrection, right? Sunday. And since it's the day on which Christ rose, it's the most appropriate day for the New Testament church to gather and worship once they stop gathering daily. Because they realized, oh, Christ is not coming back immediately. I still have to work on into old age. It's like, okay, we're going to still meet weekly. So thus, the gathering of believers on Sunday became normative in the New Testament and the early church. It's never described as a day day of physical rest, like the Sabbath, though some early church fathers said that physical rest enables worship, so it's fitting, but it's not commanded. What is commanded is us gathering together. Do not forsake the gathering of believers, Hebrews 10.25. And so the most the fitting day for that is Sunday. So to be clear, Sunday as the Lord's Day is not the Sabbath, not a special holy day centered on rest from work, but it's an appropriate day for centering on Christ through worship as a way of obeying the command to assemble as believers. And it's normative practice of New Testament Church. All right, so Sabbath is not Sunday. They're different. First application. But now let's get into some of the brass tacks of what does this look like. What does Genesis 2 
require of us? We address the Sabbath, elephant in the room. Now, what should we do with rest, according to Genesis 2? Well, first, if this rest is about us in creation entering into God's salvation rest, we should seek to enter that rest. So Psalm 95 is saying, today, enter the rest. If you're not a Christian, you're called to seek that and say, look, I realize my natural state, all of our natural states left to ourselves is hell. Eternity under God's wrathful punishment rather than God's blessing of favor. That's the, our natural fate is in, in, in punishment. It's an eternal life sentence, but God gives us a way out through Christ. He offers us the chance to not only escape that, that torment, but enter into life with God through Christ. But to do that, we have to turn and renounce our sin, right? And say, I don't want that life anymore. Rather, I trust Christ, his work, his death on the cross, to pay for the sins that I could never pay for. And I say, I want to instead be with and know God the rest of my life as the highest delight, the greatest goal anyone can have. And if we are a Christian, we still hold on to those truths and we rejoice in remembering those things. It's great that we're saved. That should make us smile like, yes, that is awesome. We, we sang songs about that, of like, we one day want to know God face to face, but we rejoice in the fact that he has paid for us now. That is awesome. We don't have that fullness of rest yet. We have a taste of it. We don't have the fullness. We still sin as Christians, right? We still struggle with evil around us affecting this world. And this means we need to look toward that future fullness of rest, using things we can to help us, God, using God's word, continually pouring over it and saying, I, I want, this is what I want. I want to know God more. I want to be drawn close to him. As we look forward, we then want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4, which means applying this reality of God's rest and salvation requires actively putting off sin. We can't just once say, okay, I renounce sin, I trust Jesus, and I did that in June 12, 1998, and I'm good. That is not how it works. It's a whole, it's a life of, I want to continually be killing sin, because if I'm not killing sin, it's killing me. So we want to make sure that we're not, not neglecting the faith that necessarily, if it's true faith, shows itself in good works, according to James. So, we're diligent to try walk worthy, but we're not monks out separate out from the world. God is still, Ecclesiastes is clear, God's given us all these gifts in creation for us to enjoy as gifts from Him. So we want that, that priority would be loving Him, should be drawing us to honor God above all other treasures. Our lives should be saying, I want to be in heaven more than I want to be here. But as Paul says, we remain here because God's decided to keep us for his kingdom here. 
Having a, we, went, we went to show God's rest and salvation. Help others see that, prize that, and pursue that. We're not earning our rest and salvation, but we are living it out. And there's a reality to which we are judged according to our deeds. Where there, maybe there's uh, different levels of rewards, some people would say, in heaven. I think it's more of you get to enjoy the rest of salvation more now as you walk in obedience of faith. And so what's required of us? I'd say three things. Stage one, seek to be saved through Christ and his work if you've not been saved yet. If you have been saved, then rejoice in that salvation, realizing that you have God's rest in salvation. And three, you will one day have it in the fullness, looking forward to that, realizing that this life right now is going to pass away and you're longing for that future hope. I want to be face-to-face with with Jesus. I want to be closer to him. Now, are there aspects of applying this rest to, okay, you should make sure you're not having a burnout on work, stuff like that? Yes. But I think there's those are more on the wisdom application side of Proverbs kind of thing rather than directly from this text of saying we should have rest days or rest times. Yes, Proverbs says you should rest. We also shouldn't be slothful. Um, We're designed to sleep, all those kinds of things. But ultimately, no matter how how well we do our rest, physical rest, we're going to still not feel satisfied in those things. We're still going to, to die. We're still decaying until that death. Or how well we balance life in every season, we won't feel fully rested. And that should push us back towards what is required of us. To one, seek that salvation rest. Two, rejoice in it. And three, long for the fullness of it someday. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your word and how it can call us back to you and reveal you to us. May you give us wisdom and insights and a heart that delights to do that, to draw close to you and help draw others to you there as well. In Jesus' name, amen.